0: Our passage today is from Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot and looked up and saw him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to murmur, he's gone to the guest to be of the sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give you half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anyone out of anything... I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because of this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost.
1: I don't know if you know this about me, but I am a middle child. Some of you are like, oh, okay. (laughs) You're like, that's why she's that way. So I have two brothers uh My older brother, Christian, is in the orange and blue. That's Illini colors. from I'm from Illinois, if you don't know that. And my younger brother, Brian, is over there in the gray and white striped little shirt there. I love my brothers now. <laughs> um, <laughs> when we were kids, we fought kind of a lot. Um, we were really mean to each other, actually, um, especially my poor younger brother. There were three of us. So someone always had to sit in the middle seat in the back of the car, right? And that someone was obviously the youngest, Brian. Um, I have a particularly vivid memory of something that Christian and I used to do to Brian. He would be in the middle and we would each put an elbow up to his temple and then push. (laughs) We were mean. Oh my word, We oh the poor kid. It probably hurt a lot. Um, I don't remember for sure, but I'm pretty sure my mom would have made us apologize and say, like, stop doing that, apologize to your brother. And um, I'm certain we did apologize and then did it again and again and again. Regardless of how many times we said the words, I'm sorry, we just kept torturing the poor kid. Um, Now he's almost a foot taller than me, so I don't do that to him anymore. (laughs) So... When I think about the word repentance, that's a word we thought we talk about and think about a lot during this season of Lent. When I think about repentance and how we sometimes approach the work of repentance, I think back to seven year old Katie saying sorry and then just kind of doing the same thing over and over again. Oh, we might confess that we did something wrong. We might even utter some kind of, you know, lame apology, but that's kind of where the work of repentance stops sometimes. Or some of us might think of repentance as synonymous with praying the prayer of salvation. We tell Jesus we're sorry for our sins. We ask Jesus to be our Savior. And then we think that's kind of it. That's repentance. Then we're done. Now, both of these things, the saying sorry... the turning to Jesus for forgiveness, those have parts of what repentance means, but repentance is actually bigger than that. It's a longer process. It's an ongoing, lifelong process that we're supposed to engage in over and over again. And since we're in this season of Lent, I want to do some thinking about the work of repentance. We say often that Lent is a season of confession. It's an opportunity to take stock of our lives, think about how have we missed the mark How have we failed in our relationship with God and in our relationship with others? Lent is a season where we confess how sinful we are, how very much we need our Savior. And we can enter freely and boldly into that work of confession, into that deep heart work of owning how broken we are because we know that Jesus freely offers us forgiveness we know already going into that that we will be received with love and grace from God. First John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us for our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I think sometimes in the Protestant world in particular, in our efforts to emphasize that God's forgiveness is free and unlimited, I think we sometimes skim over the necessary work of repentance That's supposed to be part of the whole confession and forgiveness process. Dietrich Bonhoeffer pointed this out, actually, and he said that to preach forgiveness without requiring repentance is to offer a cheap grace. Now, cheap grace is certainly what I was after as a 7-year-old when my mom made me apologize to my brother. I'm sorry. I'm probably not going to change. I'm not going to take steps to repair the harm done to your poor little temple. I'm just going to say I'm sorry and demand forgiveness. Stop crying. Don't tell mom. But today, I want to look at this picture uh, of Zacchaeus. Let's look at that story as a picture of this more holistic work of repentance that we're invited to think about more deeply during the season of Lent. I think Zacchaeus is one of the best examples we have in the Bible of what repentance looks like. So first, I want to talk about Zacchaeus' example And then we're going to talk through a five-step process of repentance that I'm hoping is helpful to us as we practice and engage in this idea of repentance during Lent. So let's talk first about Zacchaeus. We read that uh, Zacchaeus, who was a Jewish man, was in a position of power. He was a chief tax collector. He was a boss. Tax collectors were pretty broadly despised because they worked for Rome. They were in the employ of the occupier. And tax collectors famously got wealthy by cheating other people out of their money, by overcharging people for their taxes. In the book of Luke, the wealthy are often painted negatively. But for Zacchaeus, that's doubly true. Not only was he wealthy, but he became wealthy by cheating other Jewish people. In the book of Luke, a chapter earlier than the story we read today, Jesus says it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. So here we are again with Jesus and the most unlikely convert. In verse 3, we read that Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. He had a deep desire to find out something about this Jesus that he'd heard so much about. We don't know what he wanted. The text doesn't say. Was he curious? Maybe he'd heard about this man who healed sick and spoke with wisdom and authority, and maybe he was just curious to see Jesus in person. Or maybe he was unsatisfied with his life of ill-gotten luxury. Maybe he was weary of being despised and hated by his own people. Maybe he wanted a way out, and maybe he'd heard that Jesus had a soft spot for people like him. jesus had even invited a tax collector like him to be one of his disciples we don't know exactly why jesus why zacchaeus was seeking jesus we just know that he was we also know that he couldn't get close to jesus because of the crowd he was short and no one would let him through i so resonate with this it is hard to be short You know, he was a tax collector. He wasn't particularly well-liked, so maybe the crowd even sort of enjoyed not letting him see. Oh, sorry, was that an elbow? Whoops, didn't mean to push down there, Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus doesn't let the crowd stop him from seeing Jesus. He had to get a look at Jesus, so he climbed up a sycamore fig tree. These trees had short trunks and wide, low branches, they're easy to climb. The leaves would probably hide him from view. Whatever it was that made him so curious about Jesus, he was willing to go to extraordinary lengths to see him. It was probably embarrassing. Can you imagine your boss climbing a tree to get a look at something that's excited about, that he's excited about? Maybe the CEO of your company climbing up a tree in his dockers and his polo shirt. But that's what Zacchaeus did. This rich guy climbed up a tree because he was so interested to see this Jesus guy. And then Jesus passes by, and he knows Zacchaeus is there. He looks right at him, and he calls him by name, Zacchaeus. That must have been terrifying, (laughs) to be noticed, first of all, and then to be called out by name. I kind of wonder what Zacchaeus thought was coming next. What was Jesus going to say to him? I'm betting it wasn't, oh, hey, Z, what you doing up there? Want to come down and make me dinner? That's probably not what he expected, but what an honor. The invitation to spend time with Jesus must have surprised Zacchaeus. must have felt like a great honor because the text says that he received him into his home joyfully, gladly. He was so happy to have Jesus at his house, and something happened at that dinner. Because while the rest of the town is outside grumbling about Jesus eating with sinners again, Zacchaeus has a come-to-Jesus moment. Somehow, in the company of Jesus, in the midst of this unexpected kindness, in the midst of this invitation from Jesus, Zacchaeus changes. He starts giving away his money to the poor. He announces he's going to pay back anyone he cheated four times the amount he took from them. What did they eat for dinner? what happened there? And Jesus affirms that Zacchaeus, yes, he has changed. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Salvation has come to a rich man, to a tax collector. But I thought Jesus just said in Luke 18 that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, it's happening. Because as Jesus said in Luke 18, 27, what is impossible with man is possible for God. Clearly, at his visit with Jesus, Zacchaeus experienced whatever it was he had been searching for. And it turns out that just as Zacchaeus has been searching for Jesus, Jesus has been looking for him. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So Zacchaeus has been seeking answers, and Jesus has been on a mission to find him, to bring him into God's kingdom. Jesus met Zacchaeus right where he was, a curious onlooker in a tree, and showed him kindness and love. Jesus met him over a meal, forged a relationship, and just being in the presence of Jesus, whatever words he said, whatever way he looked at Zacchaeus, all of that so completely impacted Zacchaeus that he emerged from Jesus' company, a transformed man. And this is what Paul says happens in Romans 2, four: God's kindness is intended to lead you to Repentance. There's a whole sermon in here, by the way, about what actually helps people find their way back to God. Kindness, love, welcome, not judgment or apologetics or sermons. But I don't have time to talk about that today. (laughs) So Zacchaeus has an experience of conversion. He's received with so much grace and love, and it leads to his salvation. It leads to heart change, and it leads to repentance. Repentance just means to change directions means turning from one thing and to another. For Zacchaeus' repentance was turning away from his life of sin and greed and thieving and selfishness and turning toward Jesus with generosity and honesty. Zacchaeus' repentance was evidenced with acts intended to make things right with those he'd harmed. He realized that his wealth was gotten by cheating people. He realized his wealth was gotten by keeping other people poor. And after he came face to face with Jesus, his desires were transformed. He didn't need money anymore. He didn't need to find his purpose in having stuff. He didn't need to hoard resources to feel secure. So he was set free to make things right. So he gave half of his money to the poor. He repaid anyone he had cheated Zacchaeus has listened to what Jesus said. He's heard, he's internalized Jesus' teachings about wealth, about caring for the poor, about the kingdom of God being the most important treasure anyone could ever have. And so now he's acting in a way that's appropriate for someone whose life is completely oriented around the kingdom of God. Zacchaeus does what the rich young ruler in Luke 18 was unable to do. In that story, a rich man asked Jesus what he must do to be saved. And after he tells Jesus that he's kept all the commandments from the time he was a boy, Jesus tells him that all he needs to do then is to sell all of his belongings and give them to the poor. This rich young man went away sad because he couldn't imagine letting go of all his money. He couldn't imagine life without his material comfort. But Zacchaeus, oh, he'll do whatever it takes to participate in the kingdom of God, even if that means putting his whole fortune on the line. As Zacchaeus receives this amazing grace that Jesus offers, he responds appropriately by taking initiative to right his relationships with others. For Zacchaeus, salvation meant repentance, and repentance required the act of restitution, repairing harm. So Zacchaeus serves as an example for us of what repentance could look like. Repentance does not look like seven-year-old Katie saying, I'm sorry, and then tormenting her brother over and over again. (laughs) Repentance also doesn't stop just with the confession that we've done something wrong. Action needs to be taken in order to really turn from what was sinful or harmful toward Jesus, toward what is right, toward what is good. Now as I've been learning about the work of repentance, um, I have found the work of a Jewish rabbi to be particularly helpful. She writes uh, based on the work of a 12th century Jewish scholar. Um, her name is Rabbi Danya Ruttenberg, and she's outlined five steps of repentance. And I thought I would share them with you um, as you consider what a practice of repentance might look like for you this Lenten season. So Rabbi Ruttenberg outlines these five steps of confession, or of repentance. Confession, Start to change, make amends, apologize, and make different choices next time. Let's talk through each of these steps in confession or in repentance. So step one is confession. Confession is taking time to admit that you've done something wrong. It's saying to God and someone else exactly how you messed up. Not making excuses, not downplaying the seriousness of what you did, but sincerely owning that you made a mistake and honestly saying exactly what it was. I lost my temper. I said something hurtful. I acted selfishly. Rabbi Ruttenberg says that a good rule of thumb is that your confession should be as public as your failure. So if you said something in your journey group, if you did something in your journey group that you realize you need to confess as wrong, you need to confess that to your journey group. If you posted something on Facebook that you're feeling convicted about, well, you need to post your confession to Facebook. Zacchaeus' extortion of people was very public. It probably impacted everyone in his town. So his confession was for everyone that he extorted to. He had to confess to everyone in town that he had cheated them out of money. The second step is to start to change. Especially if there's some kind of habitual sin you struggle with, you need to think about what are some steps you could take to start to change. Do you struggle with pornography? Maybe a first step toward change is putting some kind of accountability software on your computer or on your phone. Do you struggle with gossip? Maybe there are people that you just can't help but gossip with when you're together. Maybe you need to take a little time away from those friends. For Zacchaeus, part of his turning from greed was giving away his money. He had an unhealthy attachment to his stuff. He needed to give it away to the poor. There might have been other steps he needed to take too, Maybe Zacchaeus needed to find a new job. Maybe he needed some new friends. But the second step of repentance is to start to make some changes. The third step of repentance is to make amends. Making amends means to do what you can to repair the damage done to someone else because of how you sinned. These steps might sound familiar to you, by the way, if you're in any kind of 12-step program. These are very similar to the steps we work through in 12-step programs, aren't they? They're very similar. But they're also biblical. (laughs) This idea of finding a way to repay someone that you've wronged comes from the book of Leviticus. In Leviticus 6, the Lord said to Moses, if anyone sins and is unfaithful to the Lord by deceiving a neighbor about something entrusted to them or left in their care or about something stolen or if they cheat their neighbor or if they find lost property and lie about it, or if they swear falsely about any such sin that people may commit. When they sin in any of these ways and realize their guilt, they must return what they have stolen or taken by extortion, or what was trusted to them, or the lost property they found, or whatever it was they swore falsely about. They must make restitution in full, add a fifth of the value to it, and give it all to the owner on the day they present their guilt offering. So, The Bible says that when we've wronged someone, we need to take action to make up for the harm that we've done. Deciding what making amends looks like might be something to do in conversation with the one we've harmed, if they're up for that. You know, when we back into someone's car, they get to call the shots about if we're going to call the insurance companies or the police or not. I don't get to decide if the damage is really bad enough to file an insurance claim. I'm in the wrong. So they get to make that call. Zacchaeus here makes amends by offering to pay back four times the amount that was extorted. That's above and beyond what Leviticus says they had to do. That says that he was serious about wanting to change. He made an effort to make amends. So first we confess what we've done wrong. Then we take steps to change. Then we make amends. And the fourth step of repentance is to apologize. I love the way Rabbi Ruttenberg uh, talks about apology. She says that it should be the fourth out of these five steps because the apology is going to mean a lot more if we've honestly taken the time to reflect on what we've done wrong, if we've taken steps to begin to be a different person, and if we've offered up ways to make up for the damage done. An apology at this point in the process says, I'm taking this seriously. I'm not just apologizing in hopes that you'll forgive me without me having to do any work. For Zacchaeus, that might have meant going to every person he had cheated, which might have been every person in town, to say, I've struggled with greed and with stealing from people. And I've begun to give away my money in an effort to work on my unhealthy attachment to money. I've put in place accountability measures so I don't do that anymore. I'm sorry I cheated you. Here's four times what I took from you. An apology at this point is an opportunity to demonstrate that you've begun to change, that you've started to make steps to be different, which is the final step in the process. Make different choices next time. If, after all this process, we do the same things over and over again, it will nullify our declarations of wanting to be different. <laughs> our offers to make amends will be met with deaf ears As parents across the world say to their children, if you're sorry, don't do it again. If Zacchaeus did all these things, but then went right back to extorting people, it would certainly seem like his repentance wasn't genuine, wouldn't it? That's also part of the blessing of step one, the public confession. (laughs) If Zacchaeus confessed to the whole town, that he had been greedy and he'd been cheating people and that he didn't want to do that anymore. You can bet the whole town would be happy to help keep him accountable to not do that anymore. So this is an example of what repentance might look like. The story of Zacchaeus, these five steps. This is what repentance could look like. This is one way of thinking about repentance. A way of making that sort of fuzzy idea, repentance, a little more concrete. So as you consider this process, this Lenten process of repentance, um, are there parts of this process that you tend to skip over? Do you like to just get right to the apology and promise you'll make different choices next time? Do you hem and haw about confessing what was wrong? Do you find it hard to just tell the truth about what you've done without couching it in, well, I meant well, or I didn't mean to, or I'm sorry if you were When you confess sin to God or other people, do you make an effort to make amends? See, the season of Lent is not just about our relationship with Jesus. The season of Lent is about our relationships with each other. I'd like to invite you to consider if there's anything you might need to do this process of repentance with this season. Do the work to examine your life, examine your relationships, examine your habits. And if you find an area or a relationship where you need repentance, I'd like to challenge you to work through these steps of repentance, especially if there's a relationship here at Harbor that you need to repair. See, the season of Lent was historically a time of year when those who'd been in conflict in the church community were restored to each other. So is there anyone you need to be restored to here in our community I would love to encourage you, even right now, before you take communion in a minute, to go talk to them. Ask them if they will be willing to have a conversation sometime about this process of repentance and how you can work through it in order to repair the relationship. Because this habit we have of taking bread and juice of communion each week is not only to affirm our communion with Jesus. It's an affirmation that we are all the one body of Christ. And as the one body of Christ... When we fail each other, we work the process of repentance. We confess what we've done wrong. We change our behavior. We do what we can to repair the wrong. We apologize genuinely, and we make different choices the next time. When we practice genuine repentance, we can have healthy relationships, not only with God, but with each other. What a gift. When we practice genuine repentance, we can keep walking together as the one body of Christ. When we practice genuine repentance, we will keep looking more and more like Jesus on the way to the cross. So I'm going to pray, and then you can take communion. But if there's someone that you need to talk to before you do that, I hope you'll take this opportunity to make things right. Communion here at Harbor, by the way, is for everyone. You don't need to be a member here. You just need to want Jesus. We take communion every week to remember what Jesus did for us, that it is Jesus who made a way for forgiveness and repentance, who made a way to repair and restore what's broken. So let me pray, and then we'll take communion together. Jesus, thank you that you see us. Thank you that you saw Zacchaeus, and you met him right where he was. Thank you that you do the same thing to us. Thank you that your kindness, your love, your grace, they transform us. And your love is what makes us want to live in healthy community with others. And this process, Jesus, of repentance is hard. It's vulnerable. But we know that to be a healthy community, we've got to get good at this. So will you help us, even today, even if it's something little, God, will you help us to look for opportunities to practice this in our relationships so that we get practice in being healthy with each other and loving each other and receiving each other with grace. Help us be a community that really looks like the one body of Christ. Thank you for this season, to do this hard work, to look deeply. Will you help change us? Will you help us look more and more like you? In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.